Are you ready to take your mindset to an even higher level on and off the mat? Then you're ready for the BJJ Mental Coach Podcast, where business owners and aspiring entrepreneurs open their minds to new ideas and concepts that will help you during your entrepreneurial journey and during your consistent pursuit of becoming the best version of yourself personally and professionally. It's time to go beyond the mat with the host of the BJJ Mental Coach Podcast, Gustavo Dantas. Welcome to episode 55. I'm your host, Gustavo Dantas, and today I interview Ricardo Amendolia. Ricardo is a first-degree black belt from the Mendes Brothers and a jiu-jitsu competition commentator since 2009. He talked about pursuing his passion for promoting jiu-jitsu, not only with teaching, but especially with commentating tournaments. And my takeaway came when I asked him, what advice would he give to someone who's pursuing a unique career? And he said, become obsessed with your passion, which inspired the title of this episode. Stick around for my final thoughts after the interview when I expand the concept of becoming obsessed with your passion. Stay tuned right after Jiu-Jitsu Tribe's message. Woos. The BJJ Mental Coach Podcast is a proud supporter of the nonprofit organization Jiu-Jitsu Tribe, formerly Live Jiu-Jitsu. Jiu-Jitsu Tribe supports social projects who offer free Jiu-Jitsu classes to unprivileged children and young adults in impoverished communities, inspiring, impacting, and improving their lives, keeping them away from drugs and crime, creating hope, and creating champions on and off the mats. Your donation helps projects to pay for their monthly expenses and facility makeovers. As a supporter, the BJJ Mental Coach donate all the profit of all online courses and merchandise to Jiu-Jitsu Tribe. For more information, please visit www.jujitsutribe.org. Let me introduce you to today's guest, Ricardo Amendolia. Ricardo is a first-degree black belt under the Mendes Brothers, and he has been a BJJ commentator since 2009 when he started doing commentary for the Fight Network in Canada. Since then, he has provided commentary for such events as Abu Dhabi World Pro, Grappler's Quest, UFC Fan Expo Super Fights, and Fight to Win, among others. He has been teaching jiu-jitsu since 2002 and is currently an assistant instructor at Pira BJJ Atos Hamilton in Ontario, Canada. Ricardo, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor. I've been, uh, I mean... You're the guy, you know, I've been following you since forever since, you know, mm-hmm. um, you, you know, even before doing all the mental coach stuff and your podcast, even as a jujitsu competitor. So it's a huge honor for me just to be able to chat with you and, and share some knowledge or whatever little knowledge I can provide. <laughs> Sweet. So tell us how martial arts and specifically jujitsu show up in your life. So um, jujitsu kind of came through karate. Um, it's a funny story. My father was a karate black belt and he used to teach at um, a university here, McMaster University in Hamilton where I live. And um, all growing up, I always saw pictures of my father as a, the karate guy, you know, and he retired karate and started kind of going into other things. But kind of seeing my father as a martial artist, as a karate guy, it, it just always, I always had that itch, you know, I wanted to pursue martial arts. I, I became obsessed with it as a kid. Later in my teenage years, I started to, you know, I saw Enter the Dragon, became obsessed mm. with Bruce Lee and Kung Fu. But the thing is, in my city, there was like no Kung Fu places. So I was like, I really like it. I started, you know, trying to train a little on my own in my basement. And then I started, I just said, you know what, I'm just going to join a karate place and do my own style of karate, some Wing Chun karate or something self-taught. 
So I started doing karate and um, it was fun. And then uh, you know, they started in incorporating a grappling class once a week, twice a week, of course, after the first UFCs. And I was kind of like, nah, I don't know about that. You know, I started seeing striking. And then, you know, one day I finally, I watched uh, UFC 3, watched the pay-per-view live with some friends. And, you know, it, it was funny because all the guys that I was thinking are going to win, I'm like, oh, the Muay Thai guy, man, he's going to win. Oh, the, the Canadian karate guy, Harold Howard. And he was actually kind of known in the local circuit. I'm like, man, that guy, he's got a, you know, the white wife beater on, man. he's got a bullet, he's going to kick some ass, you know. And then, then we saw Hoist, you know, then I was like, I don't know what happened, but he won the fight. And I had no idea. I'm like, and he beat this big muscle chemo guy. Like, what happened? And then I saw Shamrock and, and Leninger, and I was like, okay, I don't know what's going on here, but they're fighting on the ground, and there's got to be more to it. So that was kind of the seed that planted in my head that was like, okay, I got to learn more. Because if I want to be a martial artist, I need to know what other people don't know in order to succeed and to be able to defeat them. So then I got the bug and then I started the grappling classes. We started to do, you know, looking at magazines, looking at VHS tapes, uh, you know, just practicing out getting a Sambo book, a judo book. And then, you know, little by little, the Gracie in action and then the Gracie basics. And then that's kind of how it all began. So um, th that was like the inception. And then I think the real beginning of my training uh, was with some trips that I made around 98, 99, went to Carlson Gracie Jr. for a couple of weeks. And that's when I really got to taste uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, you know, like training with Carlson Jr. Uh, and then a year after I went to Jacare's in Atlanta. And uh, that's that's kind of where it all started. And then you did some training in Brazil as well, right? Yeah. So in 2004, 2005, and 2006, uh, each summer, what I would do, I would go to uh, Rio I would spend some time in Buzios with, uh, they had like an Alliance Jiu-Jitsu camp. And then from there, um, my girlfriend, who's my wife at the time, lived in Manaus. So after the, the, I would stay for the training, I would go watch the world or I wanted to compete. And then I would go to Manaus and then I would spend like maybe two months there. So every year I would spend three months in Brazil, one month Rio, two months in Manaus. And uh, yeah, it was, it was different. And at that time, 2004 to 2006, I mean, you know, you can get better training than Brazil. It's yeah, obviously, okay. changed, you know, but uh, it was, it was intense. It was a lot of fun. And how do you feel jujitsu relate to life and all your jujitsu journey so far? I think that like, um, especially after getting my black belt, I, I started to look at jujitsu and, and really evaluate things, looking at some of the other instructors the more professors that have, that I've respected all these years listening to some of their knowledge, I never appreciated what they would say going through the belts, you know, blue to purple brown. I was always more obsessed with the technique and how, you know, the latest X guard sweep or the latest whatever. But I think after black belt, I, I always heard people say like, oh, that's where the real learning began. But I didn't understand it at first. But it took me a while to understand like, yeah, that, that really is, you know, you have to go beyond the technique and not only understand more principles, philosophies, and mechanisms and systems incorporated into the fighting aspect, but also look at how jujitsu parallels to life, you know, how to uh, deal with adversity, how to deal with, you know, problem solving, fast paced problem solving, but staying cool under pressure. You know, how to also, I think the one of the biggest things that my takeaway from jujitsu, um, a gentleman by the name of Gerald Chopic said this years ago, and I, and I heard it once and then I, I didn't realize it until recently, but it's like, you know, martial arts in general or jiu-jitsu in general 
is really good because it, it teaches you how to adapt and you can use that for jujitsu, but also for business, but also for, you know, everything else you're doing, your brand, everything else you're doing in life. It's really important to be able to adapt to the, to the new stuff. Like in jujitsu, you evolve to the new techniques. You know, you, you learn the new techniques, much like in business. You have to learn social media. You have to learn uh, accounting. You have to learn all these different methods and practices in order to be successful. So there's, there's definitely some parallels between training jujitsu, learning jujitsu, teaching jujitsu, as there is in being successful in life. And you know, by no means am I saying I'm a huge success, but I see it now. You know, I definitely see it from a different lens in my, you know, later years. And when did you have the spark to pursue this commentating in BJJ? Because, you know, you started doing this a long time ago, getting involved with commentating. Mm-hmm. And now that starting to have more events and you started that like 10 years ago. So when did you have the spark to get involved with it? So I think um, I've always looked at jiu-jitsu as something, I mean, jiu-jitsu, so let me backtrack. Jiu-jitsu, is always, it's always been the only sport that I've ever done. You know, as a little kid, I did soccer and baseball, stuff, but I never did it past a year. Jiu-jitsu is something that I started back then and I've, and I've stayed until this time. And I remember, you know, after training, I would look at my buddy and we would, you know, go home, watch a movie and I would look at each other and I'd say, man, like, like I'll give you an example, the movie Varsity Blues, you know? The, the, the kids in, in high school were local heroes. And I was looking at my buddy, I'm like, man, like, you know, we go win tournaments or we go fight, like, we don't get anything. We don't get even, sometimes the people in our own academy don't even recognize what we've done, you know? Like, what are we gonna do to make jiu-jitsu be at that level, you know? And I think that that was a little seed. And, you know, I started to do some events on my own, um, little like uh, invitational events I did. It was called the Ontario Submission Wrestling Invitational. I did four events. I uh, had some names locally. Some of you guys might have heard of uh, George St. Pierre. He's, uh, he was on one of them. He was on the third one. And he actually won that and then punched his ticket to get into ADCC 2005. It was right after that. So I started to do those events. And that was kind of the seed. I was like, wow, like I really love the aspect of professional jiu-jitsu. You know, like having these selected matches like Brazil, Lutas Casadas or, you know, pro, pro jiu-jitsu. I, I love that, you know, and I, and I realized that, that format, that module is really what I think is going to be able to push jiu-jitsu to the next level to get more exposure, getting you know MMA guys involved and so forth. So what ended up happening is I started working with a lot of local promoters to help organize the local scene. And in 2009, I was working uh, a lot with my good friend Fabio Holanda, and he organized the first uh, Canadian trials for the Abu Dhabi World Pro here in Montreal. So I helped organize the event with him, promoted the event with him, and then eventually we got the footage from the Abu Dhabi World Pro Finals and I sent it to the Fight Network and I was like, man, like, let's get this on TV because it, it was a fully polished product, you know, and Jiu-Jitsu had never had exposure in TV in Canada, actually for the world at that matter. So we got the tape, we sent it to the Fight Network and, you know, they were looking at me, they're like, hey, like, I mean, we have MMA commentators, but they don't know, you know, Marcelo Garcia, they don't know Braulio Stima, would you mind commentating? And I was like, wow, this is, yeah, for sure. So I did that. Uh, we put it on TV. They did some, you know, YouTube clips of it and stuff. And, you know, from there, it just kind of snowballed. You know, I got invited to do Grappler's Quest at the UFC Fan Expo. Um, I started to do the Ultimate Absolute. I did some other local events. And then I went to Brazil and commentated Copa Podio. And I think the commentating thing was never something that I ever really dreamt of. But once I started getting involved, I started to create little goals. 
and I, and I tried to accomplish all those goals. I, I said, Hey, I want to be the first, you know, gringo to go to Brazil and commentate jujitsu. I did that, you know, multiple times, you know, I want to, I want to commentate ADCC. I did that. I want to commentate world pro. I did that. There's still some other events that are on my list, but I'm closer to being, you know, to having done all of the small goals as far as commentating as I've ever done. And I really feel like the experience that I had at the fight network first, because it was a television broadcast, it added so much to my jujitsu commentating. I'm able to commentate jujitsu in a different manner. I'm not getting so excited about the minor details of a grip. I'm trying to bounce ideas off my partner. I'm trying to let him talk. I'm trying to exchange information. So it's, it's amazing. One thing always led to another in my career is for commentating. And now, you know, I can say I've commentated the best events in the world and, I just, you know, I love what I do. You know, it's just an amazing thing. So besides this trial and error process, are you saying you try and getting to participate with more with uh, your co-host? Did you take any classes or you study anything? I mean, is there anything out there that it can help you to get even more information? No, there's no playbook. There's no rule book. There's no guidebook. There's no... There's nothing, you know, and I think experience was my biggest teacher. Experience was my playbook. You know, I started, um, like I said, with that event, and then I, I, I just started to watch all the other, uh, you know, commentators like Joe, obviously Joe Rogan and like Goldberg, and I, I started to look at what they were doing and try to add that to commentating jiu-jitsu. So I obviously, um, when I worked at the Fight Network, I had some specific advice from a good friend of mine, John Ramdeen, who helped me, and I think that that was my biggest learning tool is just the experience working with him and, I, and I'm able to bring that now. But definitely there was no, I mean, when you commentate jiu-jitsu, there's only, in my opinion, there's only a handful of really, not good commentators, but experienced commentators. That's the difference. You know, I think you have to have experience because sometimes the commentators, like they'll, they'll call a match and, you know, you can commentate it as a nerd and that's fine, you know, as a jiu-jitsu geeking out on all the positions and getting excited, but it's you, you have to understand the history of the fighters, the team, yes. you know, what happened. And, and you add that to the table. Maybe what will happen is it'll make a boring fight entertaining. You know, uh, we also had the best of ADCC on the fight network and there was, there was some pretty boring matches in ADCC back in the day, but the dialogue, that's what makes that entertaining. You know, you talk about this guy's history, you talk about his coach and, you know, how he has a feud with the other coach stemming from Brazil and Rio back in the day, you know what I mean? So you add this layer of knowledge and it builds up the match, whereas maybe the actual action is not there. So that's, that's another kind of tool that I try to incorporate as well. Yeah, you mentioned earlier, man, super important point is the commentator know about the athletes, not just know the moves. Um, man, I I'm not here to judge or criticize or bash anyone, but I was I don't I don't watch uh, as much jujitsu nowadays. But but I think I was watching. Uh, wasn't it Quintet? Is that is that how you say it? Yeah. Quintet? Yeah, yeah, the the event yeah. of the five against five. I think the last one was in Vegas or something. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think they put some people that are no grappling. But they don't know the jujitsu scene, so it was yeah. painful to watch. Yeah, I, I get it. Um, you know, and I, I, I think I have a good idea of what you're talking about for sure because I watched the same event. I think the thing is for that specific audience, it's more of a mixed martial arts crowd, so they they're fine with just hearing, um, you know, MMA past MMA fighters or commentators, you know, 
go a little bit on this side of the spectrum as far as what they bring to the table. Whereas the jiu-jitsu fan, the real jiu-jitsu fans want to know the history, the intricacy. They want to know the other side of the table. So I think the key is, is trying to find a balance Absolutely. where you have, you know, one kind of MMA-esque commentator that, yeah. you know, talk, builds it up, is able to yell and scream and, oh, what a beautiful sweep from blah, 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 blah. You know, maybe they don't have the specific knowledge of the techniques, but then you need to bring that to the table. You need to have that dialogue. And when you have two people doing either or, it gets dull. If you have two jujitsu guys, like like just talking about the techniques and they're arguing, well, I think he's going for the left hand. I always go for the right. It's boring. But, you know, if you have on the other end of the spectrum, if you have two MMA-ass commentators just hyping up and they don't even know, you know, like if that match, that event example, like Shaolin was fighting, you know, like they probably never mentioned his accolades. They probably never mentioned what he did as a fighter. Yeah, I I think it's a great point to mention about the balance for people who watch me as a jujitsu geek. I like the geek commentary. And I mean, that, that is me just because I'm more analytical. So I want to see where the hand is, where is that? So me personally, I appreciate that. But I totally get it, what you're saying, you know, getting that balance. And I think it's super valid. Now, what would you say is the difference of the mindset when you started in 2009 to get involved with this to now, your approach or going in, doing the matches? What are some of the big difference in, in how, or even mindset of, would you get kind of like a little nervous before or still get a little bit now, how you deal with all that? I think in the beginning, uh, one of the biggest things that for me, I had to watch everything that I would do again immediately because there wasn't many. So I had a lot of time. So I would immediately watch. I would ask other commentators. I would ask uh, friends in the industry, watch this, listen to what I'm saying. Is this sound okay to you? Give me some advice. Oh, I shouldn't have said this. Oh, I was saying, uh, every sentence, oh, I got to cut that out. You know what I mean? So I started to fine tune my craft little by little as I went. Then the more confident that I got, then I started to add more in-depth um, as far as the knowledge as for the fighters and so forth. At first it was, again, it was, you know, I went into it with the jiu-jitsu geek attitude, you know, again, because I had the, the MMA guy kind of commentating with me. So I was sitting there talking about the techniques, about the history, blah, 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 blah. But I didn't realize some of the little things I was doing as far as, you know, just me speaking. So there was a lot of fine tuning that came in after that. Now I go in, uh, I, I'm not saying I've mastered that. I still make some mistakes when I speak, but I, I feel way more confident and I can add more. I can now focus on, you know, if I'm competing or if I'm commentating a, the world pro, I can sit there and look at the brackets and not be conscientious about how I'm speaking. I can focus on the task at hand a lot better now. Nice. And you said something very interesting too, because about feedback, asking for feedback. So this is for the listeners. We're talking about BJJ commentating, but I mean, this is something that you can apply in your life and everything of whatever you're doing, asking for people that you trust and you value their opinion, not that you have to necessarily accept everything. This is the right, of course, you just, you accept the feedback. I had probably at least two final thoughts about feedback, which is super important for you to listen and reevaluate. And I think this is a, it's a great one and have the humility to accept. And as you mentioned, okay, I'm doing some, um, I got some, some things that I need to work on. And I think this is super important to be open to that because if you don't, how are you going to grow? 
Exactly. You know, you have to have constructive criticism. Um, there's a difference between negativity and constructive criticism. If you speak to your peers in the industry and, you know, people that you respect or have experience and hear their feedback, that's one thing. If you hear to, you know, trolls on forums that just attack yeah. you just because they don't like what team you're on. I mean, you can obsess over that, but that's not going to help you. You know, you have to look at what's going to help you and take the information people provide you and use that information to fine tune your craft. So what do you feel that has been your, your toughest experience with kind of broadcasting? You know, some of the struggles that you had, what did you learn? Maybe a, a event that you finished like, oh boy, that was, ugh. you know, you just didn't really feel that you delivered the way you wanted or any experience related to that. What did you say? And what did you learn from it? I think um, just much like jiu-jitsu, you have to you have to know the timing. You have to understand the, the the rate of the fight, like the pace of the match. And I think that that's important because, you know, I'll give you an example. We were in Abu Dhabi doing the World Pro and looking at the schedule starting at 10 a.m., ending at maybe 7 o'clock. So if I sit there and go, you know, uh, was it uh, nine hours straight, super enthusiastic commentating, I'm going to burn out by hour number five or six for sure. And then everything from there is going to be bad. But normally that's when all the good matches come. So it's, it's really hard. So you have to kind of just use the experience of pacing yourself, you know, letting your partner talk enough, enough, you know, not talking over them, but let them talk a little more, you know, maybe take a break, you know, come prepared to the event, you know, have your Tylenol, have your water, have your Red Bull, you know, understand that at the four, three hour mark, you're starting to drop. That's when you need an energy, just little things like that so that you can last a long time. Again, much like Jitsu, you got to understand when to put it on, when to pace yourself and understand the time length. You know, the best competitors understand exactly what minute they're at, you know, what's going on in the match. And you have to do that with commentating too. So I think that that's, that's a big thing that I had to understand. And I learned the hard way. You know, burning out at uh, at the final hour in a commentating, and it's an exciting match, but you just don't have the juice to do it. It happened to me when Andre Galvan was fighting uh, Felipe Pena. Super exciting match, but I was so dead beat, just talking and talking and talking. Not just tired physically, because I'm just sitting in a chair talking, but your vocal cords. You know, mm. people don't understand that your vocal cords. You know, your your mouth gets dry, and then if your mouth gets dry, you got you got to drink water. Now all of a sudden, you got to go to the bathroom. So you got to pace yourself. You got to just have that nice pace uh, going throughout the entire time. Yeah, it's a tough gig, man. Especially how many days are the World Pro of you broadcasting? Now it's three days. Yeah. Yeah. And so I bet, like by the last day, you're you're tired physically, mentally. You do have to focus a lot. I don't even yeah. know if I'll be able to do that job. I'll tell you that, man. You know, it's just, yeah. seriously, it's a lot of focus. And you got to get over the jet lag. That's the toughest part, you know, because there's an eight-hour time Ooh. difference. Um, it's funny. I, I, Embarrassing as it is, the three days that I did this year, the first day, myself and John Evans, are my co-host, we were tired because the jet lag just, you know, it's tough. But by day two, by day three, you know, we started getting everything back. We got our bearings back. And then, it just got better and better and better. So, so yeah. you have a very unique career, right? You don't, especially with BJJ, you, you're going to count or maybe in one hand how many people uh, do that. So for the, for the listeners who are probably pursuing some type of unique profession, usually when you go to entrepreneurship, you're ready 
kind of going to the different route, let's say, that what society expects expect from you and so forth. So what kind of suggestion for someone who's pursuing something unique, what would you tell to them? Because it's, it's a tough transition. Maybe they already have. And here's the thing too, Ricardo. The, I think it's, it's hard for me to say what exactly who listens what but i feel from feedback from i do have a lot of business owners but reality is i have a lot of people who train jiu-jitsu love what they do and for living they wish they would be doing something else okay so not necessarily they would be teaching jiu-jitsu making a living in jiu-jitsu not that but they Maybe they have a, a passion or of doing whatever. If it's, maybe it's art, maybe it's singing, maybe whatever. Something unique, and you're doing this unique uh, career as a, as already mentioned in jujitsu, which is it's not like it's a broad field, very narrow. So, what did you say to someone that uh, is trying to pursue a unique career? I think. Um... You know, in the words of uh, C.T. Fletcher, you know, you got to become obsessed with your passion. Um, in my opinion, you know, looking at it from my experience, I didn't always want to do this. What I was really passionate about was growing and promoting jujitsu. But because there was a need for a commentator who had the experience that I, I found that and I said, you know what, I'm going to embrace this and I'm going to use this need in this void to help do my initial goal. So it's, it's finding your passion, finding a goal. And, and my goal is always, you know, even through commentator, through a gym, through you know, my social media, it's to promote jujitsu. That's my number one. I wanna make it the biggest it can be, you know? And I do it through commentating, but I didn't always think that. So example, if you're a business owner, or you're, let's say you're gonna open an academy, you know, you love jujitsu, that's your passion. You become obsessed with jujitsu, you open an academy. Maybe you think, that you're gonna have the superstar team of adults, but in reality, you discover that the kids is where it's really gonna be worthwhile. You know, and my professors Hafa and Guy were the ones that really, it's a prime example. You know, when they first told us they were gonna open an academy, we looked at them saying, oh, you're gonna build the superstar team. And they looked at us saying, no, we're gonna, we're gonna build a superstar team of kids. We're gonna start from the ground up because by the time they get the black belts, if they're under us, they will be the best. We're not gonna go scout black belts. We're not gonna go scout brown belts. We're gonna get kids and we're gonna build them up. So, you know, their initial intention was opening a gym. You know, their passion was jujitsu, training, teaching, competing, but they took a different route. And now they're specialists. And I feel they have one of the best, if not the best kids program in the world. You know, I'm sorry if I'm being a little biased, but I think that they do. And I think that a lot of people look at them in that light. But it all started from one thing, it kind of goes to another. So you could be a school owner and you know, open a gym, jiu-jitsu is your passion, but maybe teaching police, maybe there's some sort of career opportunity that you never, or the military or whatnot, you never imagined that would you know, take you to another rate, another place in your life or maybe another career. So it all comes from being obsessed and following your passion, you know, uh, fulfilling the dream that you want. I know it sounds very cliche, but I think, you know, like I said to you before, like uh, Ed Suarez told me once, the famous promoter, or sorry, manager of, you know, several MMA fighters, if you do what you love to do as your career, you're never going to work a day in your life, you know, and if you really love what you're doing, you become obsessed with it, 
it's not work. You know, like I talk jujitsu and I teach jujitsu and I try to promote jujitsu. It's not work for me. It's something that I feel like I was called to do, I guess, you know, I've maybe got to put that seed in me to do. And, um, I, it's sometimes I think, man, this is getting kind of, you know, this is kind of enough, you know, maybe I think I need to do something else, but then the next day something will come up and I'm like, Oh man, I love this sport again. I'm back in, I'm all in. So it's like the Godfather says, once I thought I was out, they pulled me back in, you know? So you just, you got to follow your passion and you never know where that road's going to, you know, end up. You may think that the road's going to go this way. It could take a big right turn and you got to be prepared. And much like jujitsu, you got to adapt to the times. You got to be able to adapt with the times because, you know, something amazing could come starting from the original intention. I hope that made sense. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. And one of the things, again, we've been have talked about this in, in different episodes, but sometimes it's like you're thinking about, okay, this goal that is in the top of the mountain, let's say. And some, sometimes people just focus on looking up and be like, man, I'm so far away from the top. I don't know how even start to climb, so I'm not going to climb at all. So that is an issue. And yeah. I feel that it's interesting that you started little, literally, little by little with small steps. And I feel that this, the, that's what people need to do. I am actually talking about broadcasting. I have a, a few of my final thoughts uh, before and talking about one, a personal friend of mine playing in the NFL, Adam Archuleta, and now he's in a CBS broadcaster for, and he was saying that the very first time that he went to the NFL, I guess they have a boot camp for mm -hmm. the pick 25, either current or former players that are prospects, you know, so they go to the NFL film studio and so forth. And he said that at the first time he was at a camp, he bombed bad. And even the, the director said, oh, man, I don't think you're ever going to be in TV. So he was doing, so after that, he was, he put in his mind, he decided that this is what I'm going to do. He was doing high school games. And this is a guy that was a first round uh, pick for the Rams in 2001. So he said nothing, no job is like uh, too small uh, for me or, or whatever, you know what I mean? And or I'm this and that. So he went and started doing high school games. And then he would go to the ASU games because he played for ASU, and then he would sit and uh, they would have a suite and different booth just for him to practice and get another person record like he was, he was doing the game, but he was a, just, a, just a, a pilot, basically, just for him to get more practice. And then little by little, he started doing a few colleges here and there, but all just put in his time and whatever the chance he had. And now the guys in the CBS and then the odds of him making, especially someone, the producers, saying like, dude, you get, and that was bad. So yeah. a lot of people would maybe had the feeling that start climbing the mountain and be like, oh, yeah, I guess it's too tall for me. Let's just climb down. So he has a, a, a great story, by the way. And this is one example. It's, it's interesting bringing this up because it's right on the topic of the commentating with you. So very similar. And you started doing some of uh, like little smaller stuff too and practicing. And I feel that people just got to find something that they can put that practice in that not necessarily they're getting paid, but just no. getting their, their, their reps in per se. Exactly. You know, I, I, one of the prime examples of that very, you know, kind of similar 
Um, it, it, like in my, sorry, before I say that, in my opinion, it's like you have to accept that the road's going to be long. I get some messages from people saying, you know, Ricardo, I want to commentate. I want to try. Can you get me in with Flow Grappling to commentate the IBJJF Worlds? I'm like, it doesn't start like that. I've never heard you commentate ever. I've never heard you do anything. You're a good teacher, but it doesn't mean you're a good commentator. So why don't you go do some local events for free and see if you like it. See if you see if you could take the criticism after that. Then go do another one. And then do that for a couple of years. And then when you get to a point where everyone started to talk about you, we'll talk. Another example in my personal experience, it's it's like you said, do anything that you're involved in in your passion. In 2007, ADCC came to uh, New York, New Jersey, or Trenton, New Jersey, better. And uh, I remember Brian Simmons from Grappler's Quest. He was helping ADCC at the time, and he put a thing on, um, I can't remember what form, maybe in the guard at the time or NHB gear. He said, looking for volunteers um, for ADCC 2007 will give you uh, front row tickets to watch the show. There, I got in the car with a bunch of buddies. We went there. You know, what did we do? We laid the mats. We put the tables out on Friday night. We did this. We did that. everything we could do. Then, you know, I was like, okay, where's my tickets? And he was like, well, you know, there's kind of some other jobs to do during the show. If you want to sit on the floor, I might have to call you, like, right on the competition. I'm like, I might have to call you to do some stuff. I'm like, dude, sign me up. So, again, you know, I'm sitting there. I'm getting a table for Bruce Buffer. I'm uh, translating Portuguese. I only knew maybe 50% of what I could you know now, but I'm just helping. And that's the thing, like, you know, sometimes we think we have to have these huge qualifications, you know, in certain aspects of business and, and, and things you have to, but you also have to put forth the effort. You have to show people that you're willing to do whatever it takes. And that's what I did that day. You know, I did everything from getting food for the fighters, calling the fighters, translating, getting tables, helping security, helping organizing, telling Bruce Buffer that was Leo Vieira who just won by submission and hearing Bruce Buffer's story about when he wrestled. You got to do all these things that seem tedious and annoying and then do it again and again and again until people start saying, you know what? I like that guy. I want to use him. I like his voice. I want to use him. Oh, I want to, you know, hey, you're, you know how to translate Portuguese. Let's use you for this. And you start getting your foot in the door. You start getting closer to where you want to be. So, it, it, you know, similar story than your, your NFL fair friend there, but uh, it all comes from the same thing. Yeah. And you mentioned earlier about even controlling the timing, you know, when, during broadcasting. And now it's about respecting the time of the process. Everything has a time and that you have to put the time and everything's going to happen in the right time if you keep doing so there's the right there's the the right timing the opportunity that you have oh you saw that post boom you jump right in and and put the work and then respect the time that you know that to develop that kind of relationship you don't develop relationships just it's just one event so little by little so this is uh, super important to respect the time of the process especially now i don't know man I think sometimes people just get, especially with social media now, people get, that's one of the things that I, that I heard that in Brazil is happening a lot too. A lot of depression and stuff has been going on in Brazil. Uh, they're not doing well as far as, you know, the, the whole country just went to, uh, to crap. Now they're trying to kind of rebuild and stuff like that. But um, 
I think sometimes people just get so caught up in social media, see people like, oh man, that guy's doing so well. Oh, I know, we need to do that. And they, they compare themselves with how successful other people are doing. Next thing, they are depressed that they're not even there. And now they're impatient and they don't want to respect the time necessary that if you grind, if you put in the work, that eventually will work. I don't know when, but if you keep going, eventually it will. And I feel that people don't respect much timing. And this is the thing uh, with a guy that I'm saying, uh, Adam Archuleta, he had a six-year program from high school to the draft of 2001. It was a six-year program that he started. And, and that's what his coach said, like, for you to get faster, stronger, it's not going to be one year. You know, you're not going to be faster next year. You might be a little faster, but for you to be on like ready for a draft. And what happened is he was, he was a walk-on ASU. He wasn't even recruited. So he was a walk-on. And then and, uh, he was a defensive player. Um, and and the, the combine, he's still in the top 10 best times ever, you know, for a defensive player. So that's pretty crazy, you know, for someone that was like a, just a walk-on, but a respect the time. He knew that, it's going to be until you get to the point that you want to be in the top. You got you to gotta really put the time. And I feel that sometimes, I don't know, people just get caught up with other people's success. And I'm not generalizing, you know, I'm not saying that it's everyone who's listening. But I do know that people get frustrated because like, man, I've got just, I, I want faster. And it's not always the, the time that we want, you know. Mm -hmm. They want to see the, they want the accolades quicker than they want to put the work in. And um, I, I remember, you know, remember Pat Militich, I, I never forget a sentence he said is, um, you know, a lot of people would say uh, they would take a $10 million fight with Mike Tyson at the time. And Pat Militich said, that's cool. But do you want to take the 30 amateur fights? Do you want to take all the years of training? Do you want to take all the you know contender fights, those twenty fights, just to get to the fight to fight Mike Tyson. You know, everyone wants the not everyone. A lot of people they want the quick glory, but they don't want to put the time in, like you said, and they don't want to respect the timing that it takes things. Sometimes you know, sometimes we have to wait for the timing. I think, and sometimes we have to create opportunities. You know, especially in this industry that's moving kind of fast. Uh, I give that's what example. You did. That's what I did. Another example. Um, uh, I went to Brazil for another organization and I met with the, the owner of Copa Podio back in 2013, I believe. And, you know, we, we developed a bit of a relationship and I said, you know what, let's get Copa Podio on television in Canada. So I was able to put a couple of the shows on Canada on the Fight Network as well. And then at that point, the promoter was like, well, you speak Portuguese enough. Um, why don't you come to Brazil and commentate Copa Podio for me? You know what I mean? But again, it's it's you you have to do a little dirty work not dirty work but you have to you have to put some sweat equity into the into whatever you want to get the results you can't just get them quick you can't just tell everyone you're the best and not prove it you have to show people your work you know i'm putting this um i've been doing a lot of breakdown stuff lately uh, on my own social media and uh it's frustrating because sometimes you put a lot of work in and and, you know, you don't see the results, you don't see the traction or the social media metrics come in and you're like, man, you know, why can't I have as much as this guy? I'm just as good, if not better. But then you look at how many videos the person did and you're like, okay, 
I, I just begun. I got a lot. I got a lot of work. I only did like five breakdowns. I think they're awesome. My my friends and my peers think they're great too. But you got to put the work in. You got to put tons of those in. So a lot of parallels there. Yep. So what did you say is uh, one high performance habit that you practice daily that helps you in all aspects of your life? I think um, you know going to the gym recently has been something that's really helped me psychologically. I felt that um, uh, I used to be a bit a little heavier and I think that just going through the day to day without getting a real quick start, jump start in your brain, you know, physical activity first thing in the morning, um, jumping in a cold bath at the end of the workout. That's really helped me in these last few years, you know, helps me. I do that. I come home, I get my day organized, list up my, I write out my to-do list. I organize my day and I attack it. Maybe I'm not going to get, you know, 20 out of the 20 things that I need to do, but it gets me a good start because if you don't organize your day in the beginning and you don't have that good jump start, you get kind of like caught up trying to attack like all 20 at once and you end up getting nothing done. So I think for me, organizing my day after a good workout, um, these last few years especially has helped me tremendously, you know, organizing myself as far as, you know, teaching and what I'm teaching um, recently, we had a meeting at a, just at our, our academy, and we really reorganized the way we teach jiu-jitsu as far as how we're going to present um, the teaching. We have different instructors, so we're going to organize you know, monthly positions, two weeks bottom, two weeks top, or two weeks attacking, two weeks defending. And you know, maybe this is going to go on for a year, but it gives us a better idea on how to organize our curriculum. We all speak the same language at the club, but some of us have our own little fine, you know, tuned points on certain techniques. So I think that this structure, this organization has really helped the students uh, have appreciated, expressed how they benefited from it. So it's been really great too. So that organizational aspect of um, anything in life, I think is, is key. Great. And for the listeners, when I ask this question of the, what one high performance habit that has helped maybe the the guests i mean the idea is for you to reflect on your own habit what works for you it's not because ricard oh ricardo's doing that i'm gonna do that too it's just what works for him now you gotta realize what exactly works for you what have you been doing has been helping you to progress in your life in jiu-jitsu in business or whatever so Whatever that, that is, just make sure that you keep doing. And if it's not working, and then you got to reevaluate. But just keep in mind, you probably have a high performance habit. Sometimes you don't realize, but make sure that you, you analyze, see what that is, and you keep doing daily. Now, what would you say is the best advice you've ever received? So I ask you, is this as far as jiu-jitsu? Is it as far as business, Anything, personal yeah. career? Life. I usually I say is if could be jujitsu, could be business life, anything that pops up in your mind. Yeah, I think I think just keeping that open mind and uh, being able to listen to people, and you know, it's hard. I think men, especially men, sometimes taking advice, um, it's a little harder for us. Even you know, if I my father tells me to use this, I can't. I'm like, no, no, no. And then all of a sudden I'll have three friends tell me, Hey, I switched over to this account and he's, he's amazing. And I'm like, Oh, okay. I should have did that. Mm -hmm. You know? So sometimes hearing advice from others is, is a good thing. 
Um, you don't always have to take it, but it's, it's good to hear them out and understand the reasoning for it, keeping an open mind. And I think that transcends in business and in jujitsu. You know, if you're just set in your ways and not willing to adapt and evolve, you could get stuck in your ways. And maybe you're not going to realize that those ways are not working as functional as you should. Um, I used to own a business and I always say, like, if I, I know for a fact and I feel for a fact that if I would have implemented what I learned towards the end of my business and if I would have implemented those things in the beginning, I would have been in a different, um, you know, situation with my business. Now, I'm not saying that I prefer to do that and I wish I would have done it, but I definitely acknowledge the mistakes was I didn't listen to certain things. People were giving me some critical advice on my business that I just ignored. I th and I always thought like, oh, I'm not ready for that yet. I'm you got to make, sometimes you're not ready. Sometimes you, you just got to do it. You know, sometimes you feel like you have to build your brand up and then you can launch something. Sometimes you just have to launch it and build it up that way. You know, you just put the work in and, and take that first step, get the ball rolling. You know, those are some really important things that have helped me kind of in a general term. And, you know, again, in jujitsu and in my career. Yeah. And we've been talking a lot about time, about timing, which things not always happen exactly the time that we want. I, when was, we're in 2019, so probably was, to, I'm not going to remember now, two to three years ago. So I have my academy at this location since 2012. So at the end of the five-year lease, for people who have been business, you know, it takes a while for you to get your money back and all that kind of stuff. So I'm finally, okay, I'm getting some, uh, finally getting some rest of like close to five years of investment and so forth. And then the, the business neck next door went out of business. And I'm like, oh, man, that would be so nice if I can take this. Because so, I already came in knowing that, man, if this year is available, I'm going to take it. And the timing was not good. And they said the business next door, the other one said, because it's between both of us, he said, like, oh, I can take the whole place. So, like, no, I'll, we split. I'll take half then. Because, like, if I don't take this right now, and then I won't be able to expand, period. But the timing was not right. Financial for me, I was finally like, okay, I'm finally breathing. And I was like, oh, man, I cannot pass. And then I had to take, which means now we have two rooms. But it's not just the two rooms. Now it's two classes at the same time. So there's more instructors again. So the the... The expenses, they go like, boom, from 90 days, just go like, okay, now we just add a lot more classes. The rent is higher, electricity is higher, but that's the risk that I have to take. And I'm very glad that I, that I took. And I'm still like now getting put, okay, I'm getting back to breathing again. I think I'm not expanding anytime soon, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I will still be there in this building for a couple of years. And then I'll figure out what I'm going to do. But that was the timing was not if I go like, ah, oh, if it was, it, yeah. it would have passed. And I would, I would not be able to expand the school the way it is right now because I wouldn't be able to accommodate as many people and at the same time not offer as many classes. So definitely the timing was not ideal. But I was like, ah, I cannot let this yeah. pass. You know, I had to take yeah. the risk and I'm glad that I did. Yeah, I think... Um I think we go through seasons, you know, in life, in, in our careers and in our hobbies and in our passions. And sometimes we have to 
do things with the end in mind and acknowledge that maybe, you know, things are not always going to be forever. And, you know, this could come to an end, but have a plan B or have something else that you can go to, you know, something else that you can draw. on. I really like what you do. You have different, um, you know, different things that you're in, embedded in, in the community and jujitsu, you know, and one of the first things I met you was for, you know, work in the Arizona Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu Federation and stuff like that. And, you know, you actually, what you did there, um, you know, influenced a lot of, my work with some promoters and stuff like that, but that's not all you, you know, that now you have different things that you like to do. So even myself, you know, first I was a promoter, then I was commentating. Now I'm getting up there in age and I'm looking at, you know, the end of my season that maybe as doing certain things and starting a new season with my own brand, you know, and, and doing different things, maybe uh, more breakdown stuff, more teaching. Um, eventually I want to open my own gym and, you know, it's just looking at the different timing and, you know, sometimes things might not be the best timing, but then they work out for the best, you know, so exactly same situation there. So, yeah, we just, we just have to wait and see. And, and you know, and nothing's going to be perfect. You just have to put the work and And as long as we do, you know, we can expect the best and work for it. Yeah. Now, what advice would you give? to the younger Ricardo, let's say in 2009, again, not that you want anything different, but you get in uh, different, but you get in, in this field of BJJ commentating, what would be something that you could have a conversation with your younger version and say like, Hey, just some type of advice, watch this and that again, not saying that you want anything different, but like basically in this decade of learning that, commentating what advice could you give to him or even that would be a advice for someone that is in a similar position than you they they're thinking man i'd love to get involved with commentating jj what would you say i think i would say that to not limit it to one niche market i think that if commentating is going to be something that you want to do uh embrace other markets you know i, like go, I, I would have if i could tell myself in 2009 you know Maybe you don't want to commentate mixed martial arts, but do it anyway because it opens different doors for you. Exactly. There'll be different promoters you meet. There'll be different people you meet. There'll be different fighters you meet. There'll be different trainers you meet, different networks you associate with. And if you just stick to one thing, you limit yourself. But if you kind of try to diversify yourself, you add more value to your brand. Um, other promotions, you never know what, you know, who could hire you down the road. You know, I, I, I was in talks with certain uh, promotions, you know, that maybe are, are still here and are not, but I personally feel that if I would have done that, then my value would have been a little higher and I probably would have gotten hired by them. So I, I definitely think as much as you need to be obsessed with your passion, don't limit yourself to the profession, you know, don't limit yourself to the one niche aspect of the profession as far as commentating. So if, you know, if it's, Hey, if it's, um, Amateur wrestling, go do it. If it's kickboxing, go do it. Go try. And if you don't know, learn and try. Because the reality is we all think that, you know, we need to be so much better than the other guys. But there's a lot of guys that don't know shit. Excuse my language. You know, there's a lot of guys that just go out there and, and talk and talk and talk. But they're not really providing you that much insight. So in reality, I think maybe I could have added more to maybe mixed martial arts commentary. And I don't see, like, I don't want to do that now. But I do think that it would have evaluated, it would have uh, raised up my brand level for sure. It would have given more value to my brand. And now, do you have the habit of reading or audiobooks or what? Do you have the habit of doing that? Reading? Or? 
I've been, uh, you know what? I, I've been reading little by little. I've been kind of getting back into it. Uh, took a little break this year, but yeah, I, I try to, what I, what it, my habit would be would wake up around 6 a.m., uh, make myself a coffee, read a chapter, and then start my day. Get my kids up, take them to school, go to the gym, come home, boom. You know, and that's, and then I, with three kids, I don't really have too much time to read at the end, towards the end of the day. I'm kind of spent. Yeah, no, that's why uh, audiobooks are great. <laughs> A yeah. great way to just on a go in the car or whatever. But what is a book that you have read or listened that made an impact in you? And uh, what what was interested about? Yeah, there's a, a really good book about negotiation called uh, Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss. Mm -hmm. And uh, Chris was a uh, he was an FBI uh, interrogation expert and a negotiation expert and. It, it didn't just teach me about negotiation. It taught me a lot of different aspects, I think, um, just as far as communication with people and, and just, you know, understanding people's emotions when you're speaking to them. I, I think one of the most biggest things that I really understood was, you know, anger comes out of fear, you know, so you can use that as far as communicating with your mom, you know, <laughs> or you can use that with a hostage negotiation, but you have to be able to hear people out. Even if you disagree with them, you have to understand where they're coming from and address the situation from its core, as opposed to the consequence of how they're feeling. And I think that there's, there's a lot of really good stuff in that book that helps with business negotiations and human emotion that, um, definitely recommend for anyone. Yeah. I got to check it out because, uh, this is not the first time that I heard about this book, so I definitely need to check it out. I have my list of way too many books that I want to visit, but this is uh, I've, it's not the first time that, I'm, that I heard. So for all the listeners who are getting close to the end of the interview, and if you're listening for the first time, usually what I do, I interview the guests, and then I get a, I, I, when I edit, I just reflect on a main takeaway that I got from the interview, then I research and I teach some personal development, usually get a concept that I, that I was able to grab and then expand, do some research. And that's the part that, um, that is, it's hard, but it's the fun part for me. If I'm just doing just a podcast interview, that's, that's super easy. You guys give me the content. I don't have to do anything. <laughs> you know, I'm just here just asking questions. But now when you get to the part of the teaching that I believe that that's what I am, maybe I don't teach jujitsu as much now at this point in my life but i feel that i'm a teacher and i like to teach now um that's why i don't watch jujitsu as much now because i like to study other things now it's just a different phase of my life and hopefully you enjoy so make sure you stick around for the end of the interview so what are you currently excited about what's what's going on with your career and everything what's going on I mean, personally, I'm excited for the state of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu that we're in, um, especially professional Jiu-Jitsu. And, you know, like I said in the beginning, one of the things I always pondered on was how do we how do we grow the sport? How do we promote it? How do we make it a profession? How do we make it something serious? And I think that, you know, with organizations like uh, the AJP Tour and UAE JGF and all these other professional Jiu-Jitsu organizations, People can compete and get paid, you know, at a high level now. It's it's no longer a dream, like, but you have to go after it. It kind of goes back to what we we're saying. You have to put in the work. You can't just sit back, 
win one fight and talk on social media and expect to get paid millions of dollars. You've got, you got to fight and the money is there if you go do it, you know? So I'm excited for the fact that there's an influx of professional jiu-jitsu events. Cause that's what I love. I love calling those. Um, I love the amateur stuff too. And I think that that's feeding into the pro and jiu-jitsu is bigger than ever. You know, that's, that's kind of, you know, my thing. And I just want to keep promoting it. I want to keep, uh, you know, networking with different influencers, such as yourself and different people in the industry. And, and I'm excited that, you know, you know, people like yourself have such a great platform to be able to help others. And, um, you know, I'm just excited to be on here, but also like, I want to be able to, to expand my reach. You know, I'm excited for all of these pro events and how I can kind of expand my reach through them and how my contribution to each of the events, you know, because my, my thing is I generally try to go in thing, um, into commentating, not looking at it from a dollar cents kind of uh, point of view because the money isn't super great. I look at it as, you know, I want to do something that's going to contribute to the growth of the sport. And for the most part, all the events that I've worked with have done that. And that's what I'm excited about. You know, if an event is really awesome, I want to be one of the first guys on it. You know, I want to commentate it. I want to help it grow. I'm going to promote it. I'm going to do all the extras I can to make it be the best it can, you know? And, um, yeah, just generally excited about the professional level of jujitsu and where we're at, you know, guys making money, not just from competing, from instructionals, from podcasts, from different medias, from different apparel companies. There's just, you know, we're at a level now, the money's there, you just have to go after it. And it's not the money that excites me. It's the fact that I'm involved in something that touches and changes people's lives. And, you know, I'm trying to contribute to that as best as I can. And that, that gets me excited. That gets me excited to know that I see these great stories of people using jujitsu to become better, better people. And that's what gives me the confidence to continue working in the industry and teaching and so forth. It's, it's, you know, I, my biggest fear years ago was that jujitsu was just a fad, you know, like karate, like Kung Fu, that it would just end. But then I really realized, well, no, it's not. Because when you put the styles together, it was always dominant. And I think that, that aspect of it will always have the advantage over all of the other martial arts. So excited for where jiu-jitsu is going to be 10 years from now, you know, to see what at a professional level or an amateur level, the influx of tournaments and, and what the media is going to be, you know, um, you know, we have some amazing media with flow grappling now streaming events worldwide and, you know, creating documentaries and stuff like that. But, you know, getting that on a wider audience is going to be great too. So yeah, just generally excited about jiu-jitsu and its growth. Yeah, and like what you said too about the opportunities of the pro jiu-jitsu, not as far as just competitors. I think the podcast helped to open a mind, uh, not just mine, but other ones too, but open their minds as far as you're not just making money with the competition. You're not going to compete for the rest of your life. And I'm glad to see more competitors adopting this entrepreneurial mind because they are you're you're a hustler you're you're making t-shirts you're building your brand you're doing seminars you're doing all kinds of stuff and whoever's not doing they uh, kind of can fall behind i don't care if you're a great competitor right now but if you're not doing your your job of building your brand um you're going to fall behind. So it's, it's great to see there's so many people like Muhammad is doing a great job online with his YouTube channel. That's great. The guy's a hustler. He's doing his thing. He's doing seminars. He's still active. So he's an entrepreneur uh, yep. big time. 
And I feel that's how, if maybe you're, uh, for the guests, if you are a jujitsu competitor or you want to pursue or you're already a pro and you want to make a living with this, understand that you are an entrepreneur. You really are. You have to hustle. You have to be building your brand. And for some people who haven't clicked yet, maybe just because lack of awareness or people told them, but man, as you mentioned, the opportunities that are out there for everyone. Yeah. And, and I think adapting and evolving, you know, the times are changing. You know, I know you and I can both acknowledge that, you know, 20 years ago, showing techniques to other people, little, you know, little gray area there, you know, some of the yeah. older generation of instructors were a little more closed minded and they didn't want to show other people, you know, now, you, you look at, you know, channels like Mohammed's, like AOJ, like all these other guys, Lucas Lepre, and they're showing techniques daily for free. You know what I mean? Like there's so much free content out there right now that, I mean, if you had a system in place of understanding just the positions of jujitsu, you could probably develop a game just from the free content, let alone subscribing to all these amazing platforms that these guys have. The subscription sites where you can learn instructional, you know, step by step what they do on a day to day basis. So, yeah, times are changing. You know, the content's out there, and the guys that, you know, it's funny because the guys that are the front runners of the competitor of the competitive level are using that to expand, you know, like you said, look at guys like, I look at Lepre and the Mendez brothers are prime examples. They reached the top of the mountain as far as the sport is concerned, but now they have successful academies. Now they have successful online academies and you, you have to diversify your portfolio. You have to do more than just go out there and win medals and sit there and talk shit on the internet. You got to, you got to put the work in. you got to show people your skills. Sometimes the fighting isn't What's going to get people to be fans of you and want to pay for private lessons or bring you up for seminars? You have to show them that you can teach. You have to put techniques out there. You have to do it for free, you know, and you have to get them in. You have to put the bait out there to lure them into your place. So, yeah, a lot of media. How people can know more about your work, maybe your YouTube channel, whatever you want to plug. So go ahead. Yeah, you know, follow me. I don't really have a website right now, but I think I'm, you know, pondering on uh, getting a blog or website soon. But for the most part, you guys can follow me on social media, uh, Ricardo Amadolia BJJ and for Instagram, uh, Ricardo Balea Amadolia, that's kind of my nickname, on Facebook. And then I'm on Twitter, Ricardo Balea. Uh, sorry, I got three different tags there, but yeah, I'll pretty easy to find. Thank you very much. And I I'm posting stuff quite a bit more now. I've uh, been getting I'm pretty blessed to get Flow Grappling to post a bunch of my breakdowns and some of my history um, videos of the sport. Like I do these like throwback videos where I'll put up uh, matches or even just talk about a fighter from, you know, our, you know, older generation. And uh, I think that that's an important thing is to kind of let people understand a little bit more of the history. So that's kind of another thing that is my passion, just telling these stories and educating some of the new generation of the legends, you know, like Liborio, Oleta, you know, Mario Sperry, even Baligi, you know, like these guys that did so many things that maybe we don't understand or take for granted now, but those were very influential things that they did that changed the sport. You know, like you look at a guy like Wallet, first guy to put patches on his kimono on the front. You know what I mean? Like stuff like that. People don't know that. You know, look at Egan Inouye, first guy to wear a rash guard in a famous nogi competition in ADCC. So there's little things like that. I just try to let people know because I, in my mind, I think it's cool. So I try to do it as well. I try to let people know as well. 
Yeah, no, it's pretty cool. Yesterday, matter of fact, we have our fundamentals program. We have a 20-week rotational curriculum. So we do for 20 weeks. And then the last week, it's an introduction to self-defense. So we kind of build everything, you know, and, and get to that and then do all over again. So in class yesterday, I was mentioned, I just said, uh, the, that was a big class, probably have uh, 30 white belts or something. And I, and I said, how many people here watch UFC one and that was not even half of the room I'm like what and so uh, <laughs> at the end of the class because I, I have a tv in the room so I like I like breakdowns too so I break down do breakdowns with my students and get uh put the videos and show like this is what is happening this is the hand is here and there so that's my geek side of jujitsu. I think people yep. that know me know that side of me but not everyone knows but uh so I just put that was a hoist gracie highlight so I put for 10 minutes, okay, guys, and at the end of class, like, let's watch some, some history here. So this is, yeah. how was it? That was 26 years ago or whatever. And I'm like, man, I'm getting old. And people haven't, a lot of them, they do jujitsu or they know about the UFC right now, but they don't not even know about hoist. And yeah. so it's uh, interesting, you know, times change. But anyway, I uh, appreciate your time, man, or, or sharing your, or your experience here. And um, definitely be watching for for the events that you you're covering and the breakdowns too, which I have watched before. Matter of fact, and I do like to watch breakdowns. And thank you, man. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Like I said, uh, it's been an honor. Um, you know, I remember watching VHS tapes of you competing back in the day. You know, so for me, you know, just being able to share knowledge from you. Or, or just, you know, my experiences, it's a huge honor, you know, and I, I love the fact that you're doing what you're doing and I'm just, just glad to be on the show and I hope everyone can take something from the information that I shared today. Cool. Thank you so much. And for all the listeners, stick around for my final thoughts. Who's... Let me share with you my final thoughts from the interview with Ricardo Amendolia. If you're listening just to the final thoughts on Instagram TV at Gustavo Dantas BJJ, Ricardo is a first-degree black belt from the Mandis Brothers and the jiu-jitsu competition commentator since 2009. He talked about pursuing his passion for promoting jiu-jitsu, not only with teaching but especially with commentating tournaments. And my takeaway came when I asked him what advice would he give to someone who is pursuing a unique career, and he said, in the words of C.T. Fletcher, a former powerlifter and bodybuilder, become obsessed with your passion. On episode number six with IBJJF Hall of Fame Bernardo Faria, titled Obsessed for Success, during the final thoughts, I expand on the topic of obsession. I share with you a paragraph from Grant Cardone's book, The 10X Rule. There's one chapter called, Obsession is not a disease, it's a gift. Cardone said, quote, the dictionary defines the term obsessed as the domination of one's thoughts or feelings by a persistent idea, image, or desire. Although the rest of the world trends to treat this mindset like a disease, I believe that is the perfect adjective for how you must approach business. To dominate your sector, your goal, dream, or ambition, you must first dominate every interest, thought, and consideration. Obsession is not a bad thing here. It's a requirement to get where you want to go, unquote. If you think about it, do you believe that Bernardo could have won a world championship four times without being obsessed with his goal? 
At one point in the book, he mentions, quote, show me one person who has achieved greatness without being obsessed in some level, unquote. What about you? What do you need to do to be more or even more engaged and obsessed with your goals? I guess the answer depends on what kind of level would you like to achieve with your goal. During the final thoughts on episode 42 with the Inverted Gear founder, Nelson Poetis, titled The Art of Learning, I share the question Josh Wainskin, the author of The Art of Learning, An Inner Journey to Optimal Performance, a great book, by the way, asks, would you like to reach a decent level, good, great, or among the best of what they do? Your answer will determine how obsessed you will have to be to accomplish your vision. And Ricardo won it and became one of the best in what he does. He got obsessed with his passion. Now, would you be obsessed enough with your passion to mortgage your house to generate startup capital for your business venture? Would you go that far? That is what Shark Tank's co-host Damon John, the entrepreneur behind the successful fashion brand FUBU did. I'm going to share with you a shorter version of FUBU's story from Wikipedia to give you context here. Quote, John started FUBU in his mother's house in New York. When John first had the idea for a clothing company for young men, his mother taught him how to sew and supported him by allowing her house to be taken over the, to grow the business. Wool ski hats with their tops tied off with fishing line were popular, and John noticed them being sold for $20, which he considered overpriced. He went home and sold around 90 hats with his next-door neighbor. They sold their homemade hats for $10 each and made $800 in a single day. After the hats, they began selling screen-printed t-shirts. To make ends meet, John held a full-time job at Red Lobster, working on the FUBU business in between shifts. Sensing potential, John and his mother mortgaged their house for $100,000 to generate startup capital. Long story short, in 1994, John received $300,000 in orders and also an offer for participating in Macy's at Las Vegas Fashion Trade Show. They had to take out a second mortgage of his mother's house in order to fulfill the orders. After being turned down by 27 banks for a loan, his mother used the last of their money to take out an advertisement in the New York Times. As a result of the ad, FUBU made a deal with Samsung Textile, allowing them to complete their orders. FUBU has earned over $6 billion in global sales, unquote. Why am I sharing Damon John's story with you? Because he brings a similar point of view on becoming obsessed. During an interview, he said, quote, How did I get here? John asked rhetorically. I was obsessed with what I did. I would have dressed people for the rest of my life for free to see them adorn their body with something that I made, unquote. It's interesting that John never suggests entrepreneurs to follow their passions. Instead, he says, do what you adore, what you're obsessed with. Regardless if you believe that you must be obsessed with your passion or that you must do what you adore, what you're obsessed with it, which essentially is the same thing, you get the picture, find something that drives your intrinsic motivation. Something that you'd rather be doing anything else but this that is consistently in your head. Then decide what level would you like to reach. Would you like to reach a decent level? Good? Great? Or among the best of what they do? Will it be easy? Absolutely not. If following your obsession were easy, everyone would do it. Oh, 
We're glad you were able to join us for this episode of the BJJ Mental Coach Podcast. But the lesson doesn't end here. Watch the videos and download the audio of the 10 mental mistakes BJJ competitors make and how to avoid them for free when you subscribe to the BJJMentalCoach.com. Don't miss the chance to find out what might be holding you back from being your best self on and off the mat. That's the BJJMentalCoach.com.